Study after study has come out in the last decade or so that look at, that try to get at what are the key influencers in a child's life, in a child's faith life, that keeps them in the faith into adulthood. What is it? What are the factors? What are the influences that keep a child growing up in the faith into their adulthood? And study after study has come back with the same answer. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the school. It's not even the peers, though they rank up there. It's parents. Parents are the key factor, the key influencer on their children's lives of faith. Parents. Parents. Which I think makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, parents form their children in profound ways. Families establish what is normal for their children. From a baby's first day brought home, whether that is the home they're born into or the home that they're lovingly adopted into, that home shapes who they are, shapes what the world is like for them, shapes how the world works, how you live in the world, what's right, what's wrong, what's out of bounds, what's appropriate, Parents shape the world their child knows. My daughter Rosie is 10 months old. Brian and I are beginning to see the small ways in which we shape the world she knows at 10 months already. I mean, parents with teenagers or older children will laugh because our boundaries mainly involve baby gates and outlet covers. But it's also about teaching her how you are with other people. And by other people, we primarily mean our cat, our dog, which give her countless times of the day to remind her that we are gentle with others. No, Rosie, we do not grab the cat's tail like that. No, Rosie, we do not poke the dog in the eye. No, that's right, Rosie, yay, gently pet the dog. Constant lessons of gentleness, of kindness, of how we are in our home with other people, with our pets, with each other. Parenting Rosie, as parenting is in general, is a mix of love and discipline, teaching and reinforcing, playing and encouraging. And Rosie watches us all the time, whether we know it or don't know that, whether we're intentional with what we're showing her or we're always communicating to her about what is important, about who we are as a family, about who she is in the world she lives in. Parents shape the world, the only world their child knows. So how does that connect with what we just read from 1 Peter? Parents and children, babies and birth, obedience and instruction are at the heart of what Peter is writing about here in this passage. Pastor John unpacked last week the opening of this particular chapter, the opening of Peter's letter. And and Peter spent the first half of this opening chapter laying out the blueprint for what was to come. And as Pastor John described it, Peter was establishing the room, the blueprints of the room, the, 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 the wideness of God's calling to us as his children, the depth of his mercy, 
the height of his grace, just laying out the room of this letter. And this morning, Peter con continues that to build on that imagery, and now he's saying, this is who you are in that room. This is how you live in this house. This is who you are. So in the introduction, this, this passage introduces one of the biggest themes that Peter's going to come back to again and again and again in this letter. What does our salvation mean for how we live? How does our salvation in Jesus Christ change the way we live? And he's going to, in subsequent chapters, dig into that. What does that mean for marriage relationships, for friendships, for the way that we interact with coworkers? He's going to unpack all of that. But here, in this passage this morning, is where he is going to unpack the principles that underline everything that's going to come after it. It's a pretty big passage. It's a lot going on in here. And we're going to start with verse 13, because verses 10 through 12 is continuing to unpack what Pastor John talked about last week. He looks at the prophets, that they, they were beginning to point us to the Messiah, but now Jesus has come, so now we get to live in the knowledge of who Jesus is and who Jesus is for us. Therefore, that's how Peter starts verse 13. Therefore, therefore, everything that has come before, make sure you understand that, make sure you got that, because now we're going to build on it. The, the word therefore, whenever it's used in scripture, is always a key bridge a key connector, a moment to take stock, make sure that you understand what's come before because we're going to make a shift, but it's still connected with what has just come before. Therefore, therefore, big bridge, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Therefore, that bridge, that connector. God has given us new hope, therefore. We have an inheritance that can never fade, therefore. We rejoice in our promised salvation as God's people, therefore. Therefore, we now set our hope on God's grace. Set our hope on God's future. Therefore, we now live as obedient children of God. Not falling into step with the world around us, not being squashed into its mold, Therefore, we strive to be holy, as our God is holy. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. That, that makes me pause, that whole be holy because I am holy part. Maybe it should make us pause for just a second before diving into what Peter says after it. Be holy because I am holy. That's a command. 
not an invitation. It is a command. And it seems kind of like an impossible one. Be holy, because I am holy. I mean, that's, that's too big of an expectation, right? I mean, the gulf between God's holiness and, and our holiness is, 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 is pretty much the Grand Canyon of gulfs. <laughs> it's the Grand Canyon of separation. And, and this almost kind of seems like it's kind of saying, be holy because I am holy, kind of like just leap, leap over it. Just take a run and jump and make it to the other side. It seems to be an impossible ask, an impossible command. And it doesn't actually get any easier, this command. We can't soften it. It doesn't get any easier when we look at where Peter's pulling it from. Peter's going back to Leviticus to pull out this piece, for it is written back there in Leviticus. And, and Leviticus is that book that's um, probably best known for ending most people's attempts to read through the Bible from beginning to end. It's usually where you falter. It's usually where you get lost because all of a sudden you're in a morass of do this but don't do that, sacrifice this animal but not this animal, eat this but not that, wear this but not that, and make sure you have all of these things in line. Peter's quoting from Leviticus 11. This is, this is the full sentence that he's quoting a part of. And it's, it's God speaking. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. There's that therefore again. Therefore. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy. It can seem like a non sequitur, right? The first half, does that necessarily imply the second half? Be holy because you brought us out of Egypt? But if you take a step back, you see that this is the same logic that Peter is using. The same pattern, the same rhythm with his therefore. Peter is saying, our father is the one who brought us up out of death and sin into new life and new hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, be holy in all that you do. Same logic. Salvation, therefore, holiness. I have saved you, therefore, be holy. In, in Leviticus, in the holiness codes of Leviticus, the sacrificial system, the lengthy descriptions of what not to do and what to do, how to live and how not to live, what to eat and what not to eat, were always, always for God's people to show that they were God's people, that they were different, that they no longer belonged to Pharaoh, but they now belonged to God. I brought you up out of Egypt to be your God for you to be my people. Now this is how you live as my people. Holy, because I am holy. Set apart, because I am set apart. Holy lives that looked different from the land that they had left. Holy lives that looked different from the people they knew, the people that they encountered, holy lives that showed to anyone they met that they were different people 
because they were God's people. One of the things that makes Leviticus so dense and hard and difficult to get through is its thoroughness to show us that there is not one aspect of life, not one piece of our lives as individuals or as a people that is outside the scope of his command. That's what makes Leviticus so dense, is it gets into every tiny, itty bitty minutia of our lives and says that? Be holy in all that you do. Be holy in that, because you are fully redeemed. It means all of your life is lived under the command to be holy as I am holy. Nothing, nothing gets out of this command. Nothing in our lives. All of life falls under this command. Be holy as I am holy. It's not really helping, is it? And Peter doesn't help either, right? So we go back to Peter, and Peter says, be holy in all that you do. He's getting at what Leviticus is truly saying. All that you do, all of your life. Your job, your friends, your hopes, your dreams, your jobs, all of it. There's no wiggle room. There's no way out of this. There's no way, peace, that we hide this part of our life. All, all of it. Be holy in all that you do. Still sounding pretty impossible. Still sounding like a burden. Still sounding like an impossible command. Be holy in all that you do. Let's leave Leviticus and go back to how Peter's using this command. He's using it for a reason. And Peter places this command firmly in the context of who God is and who we are because of who God is. Peter gives us a picture here. And, and the picture that Peter draws here is not of a distant ruler commanding his subjects to follow his commandments, expecting them to live life as he has dictated. Paul gives us a different picture. Paul paints a picture of God as a father, parenting his children, teaching us the house rules, instructing us in the new boundaries of our life as a member of his home, of his family. Peter reminds us that we are called to be obedient children loved and cared for by our faithful father. And to be a child in this family, like any family, means that we need to learn how the family works, how the family lives, how the family believes. And so here in this passage, Peter lays some ground rules, some, some family rules, the house rules. I think there's three core house rules here. Rule number one, your whole life is precious and holy, so live like it. Because you were bought with a price, not with silver or gold or anything that fades away, but you were bought with the very blood of Jesus Christ, 
That means you are precious. You are valuable beyond anything. Remember that and live like that. Your whole life has been redeemed. So your whole life is now precious and holy. Holy because you have been set apart as God's own child, saved by his grace, and called to a new life. The commandment to be holy is simply a commandment to be who we are already in all areas of our life. Rule number two, love each other deeply from the heart. I, I love how Peter kind of pushes it, not just love one another, but I want you to love deeply. And not just love deeply, I want you to love deeply from the heart. Keep pushing it and pushing it. Because that's the foundational rule of our Father's house. Being precious and holy does not mean you get to be holier than thou with any of your brothers or sisters. That's not what it means. Being precious and holy means we, cheat, we treat each other as also precious and holy in God's sight. And deeply, from the heart, not forced, not faked, not just being nice. The English in this passage where, where Peter is saying this, love each other deeply from the heart, there's actually contrasting two kinds of love here, right? He says, verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, you, you have sincere love, now love one another deeply from the heart. Two different kinds of love here. He's saying you already got sincere love, that's nice. Go deeper. And, and the English actually masks these two kinds of love. Because the first love is phileo. It's, it's kind of brotherly love, affectionate love, nice love. And then when he says love each other deeply from the heart, it is agape, which is the kind of love the father has for his children, which is the kind of love God has for his people. And so he's asking us not just to be affectionate, loving to our brothers and sisters and the family, but to love as God loves. Deeply, self-sacrificing, self-giving, move into that kind of love. That's the kind of love that motivates and fills the household of God. Rule number three, live for what's imperishable. Throughout this passage, Peter contrasts two things. The perishable, the fleeting, the fading, the silver and the gold, the things that will pass away, with the imperishable, the enduring, the stuff that really matters. God's love, his word, his people, his community. And Peter encourages us over and over again, and you'll see it throughout this letter, live with the imperishable in mind. Not for silver or gold or for stuff that falls away, for stuff that doesn't matter. Live with the imperishable as your focus. The enduring word of God. Your inheritance in the faith. The sure hope you have in Jesus Christ. And the people that God calls you to. Why do we follow these rules? Why are we given rules? Why are we given a way to live, right? Isn't our salvation always secure? 
nothing we can do about it. Because our Father shapes the world we know. Like any good parent, our Father shapes the world we know. By reminding us of who we are as his children, showing us how to live in this family of God, teaching us the rules of his house, forming us to be God's people, living holy lives as his children. Our Father shapes the world we know, how we live in that world, what's right, what's wrong, where the boundaries are, what's acceptable, and how we love. And, and just in case we think, there's a bit of a hardness to this passage, just in case we think that we can live in this household of God and forget about the rules, Peter reminds us, right smack dab in the middle of this passage, that the one that we call Father is also the one who will judge all of us impartially. No favoritism. And I don't think what Peter is saying here is that we can lose our salvation based on how we live. That's not what Peter is saying. Not at all. We cannot lose our Father's love by our actions because we did nothing to earn it in the first place. We can't lose it. But by bearing God's family name, by being part of this family, we're expected to live a different sort of life. A life of obedience and love, of faithfulness and holiness, not out of duty, but out of gratitude for who our Father is and how he loves us. That's not where Peter leaves us this morning, thankfully. The end of this section, the end of our reading this morning, Peter gives us one more image. It's in chapter 2. It's right at the tail end. He has another therefore. Peter likes his therefores. So remember, all that has come before, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Babies. Newborn babies. Be like a newborn baby. To sum up this passage about how we're to live this life of holiness, about who we are in, in Christ, who our Father is, newborns, be like a baby. Be like a baby. And what I love is that Peter does not give us this image of a strong adult confidently going in the direction of a holy life. Peter points to a newborn baby being held by its mother and saying that, be like, be like a baby. Be like a baby. All that newborn babies know is their need. All that newborn babies know is their need for care, for warmth, for nourishment, for food, for all things. All things. A newborn baby can't do any of that. Be like a newborn baby. Knowing. Knowing your need. Knowing who sustains you. Knowing who carries you. 
be like a newborn baby, craving pure spiritual milk, the word of God, the love of the one who holds us. For growth, for life, for all things. So people of God, may you know your need for God, like a newborn baby with its mother. May you grow up in your salvation, knowing that the Lord is good, knowing that you are a child of our Father, called to live a holy life according to the family rules, according to the household of our Father, the one who shapes the world we know, the one who holds the world we know. Amen. Please pray with me. Our good, good Father, we come before you as your children, the ones you love, the ones that you have saved through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come before you grateful for this salvation, grateful that you have claimed us as your own. And we ask now for the strength to be a newborn baby, completely dependent on you, knowing our need for you, for your word, for your guidance, for your protection, for your care. Help us to live this dependency in holy lives that show that we are your people and that you are our God. It's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.